We're very blessed to be back together this afternoon, and I'm thankful and happy that you are here with us. We're winding down to the short rows on our project this week, and what we have left in front of us are three more sermons on the book of Proverbs. We've gone through and split this thing up into wisdom and folly, and we've looked at character traits that come uh, from those and, and the people who walk in those uh, varied paths, and we've talked about principles relating to those things, vices and virtues that come from uh, folly and wisdom, respectively. And tonight and tomorrow, we're just going to talk about some other issues that are discussed in Proverbs that relate to wise conduct. Tonight, we're going to talk about wisdom and the tongue. They're just, there's some things that Proverbs says so much about that it, it just doesn't feel right to have a meeting themed around Proverbs and not talk a little bit about it. And I want to assure you, I have no choice but to leave some of those things unsaid. I suppose some of you may go home and read Proverbs in the days or weeks that follow, and you'll come across some things and some themes and, and wonder, well, I wonder why I didn't talk about that. And it's because I had ten sermons to do it. And so we're trying to cover what we can, and Proverbs says so much about controlling the tongue that it just seemed right to me that we devote a study to that. So let's consider some passages from Proverbs that warn about the ominous power of the tongue, especially when ill-used. Proverbs 10 and 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And we've talked a couple of times this week about sometimes, you know, when you're feeling your emotions boiling up inside you and you're ready to go into a fit of rage, and very often that fit of rage is accompanied by saying a lot of irresponsible and reckless words and you know, what I've advocated as a solution to that is sometimes you've just got to hush and let your emotions settle down. And wow, does this passage before us confirm that idea. You cut loose and start saying a lot, it's not going to be long before you say something wrong. So who's the wise person? The one who stops, who restrains their lips and, and just gives themselves time to think. Consider Proverbs 17 and 27. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. If you ever needed any verses to, you know, tell a preacher to shorten his sermon a little, I'm giving you a little bit of ammunition here, okay? Feel free to use these after Sunday afternoon as his coming gone, <laughs> okay? Uh, until then, I may not want to hear about it, but, you know, Spare your words. We've all been there. You're, you feel a, a passionate and legitimate urge to explain something that you feel like is important, and, and you're trying to help whoever you're talking to understand where you're coming from and what you're saying, and, and you, you feel like, well, what I just said didn't work. It didn't click with them, so I'm going to say more. Well, that didn't work, so I'm going to say more. And before long, we've said so much that we said something wrong. And there's such a thing as just, boy, this is hard to do. But sometimes it's okay to just stop and let them gnaw around on it for a day or two. Proverbs 29 and 11 says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Again, we have this concept from Proverbs of restraining the tongue. And here it relates to the idea of venting. And I want, I want to have a really careful talk about this. 
I hear people and, and sometimes even Christians talk about a concept that really concerns me, that if you've got all these bad feelings in your heart for someone, sometimes you've just got to let that out to kind of get that poison out, so to speak. I hear people describe that idea in different sounding terms that more or less amounts to this, it's as though those words are here, and if I speak them, they're no longer in here. Well, number one, I'm not sure that gets rid of those thoughts. I'm afraid it fans the flames. Number two, this passage says it's foolish to vent all your feelings. Our society has bought into this idea of venting, that if you're mad, you just need to explode and have this profusion of words where you just say all this stuff and let all those feelings out as though now they're out so you don't have them anymore. Now, I, I've never intellectually said, okay, venting's the answer, so I'm going to vent. I just have gotten mad and run my mouth when I shouldn't have. Okay, and you have too. And when I tried it, it didn't calm my thoughts down. It fueled them. My wife and I were recently talking about a situation where someone's conduct was, I'll say, dishonest and dishonorable towards us, and it was costing us, and we were talking about it and talking about what to do, and, and we were kind of in that mode of, over explaining what was wrong <laughs> with what was happening and, and, and I stopped and I said you know dear at some point we've got to realize that the more we talk about that side of it the more sour we're going to feel that part of the discussion has to be had to understand where we're at but we need to spend more of our words talking about what our response should be so, so let's be careful about the venting and we, we kind of talked back and forth along those lines. And we agreed that was important for us to do. So what does the wise man do? He doesn't spew all of his words. He holds them back. I hope you'll think about that. I hope if you bought into the modern idea of venting being a constructive way to deal with anger, I hope you'll reevaluate that in light of this passage. There's more that could be said about it. But this passage is enough to start you on a journey of reconsidering that. Let's look at a, a passage in the book of Proverbs, or in the book of Ecclesiastes, that joins in theme with these Proverbs that we've read. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 12 through 14, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? So again, we have this warning from Solomon that it's foolish to multiply your words to say too much. And then he, in words, portrays what I've seen humorously portrayed in animation where there's this mouth that swallows itself. <coughs> that looks pretty funny. And I don't know if, it's, if he's trying to paint a humorous picture or a picture of something that just looks completely ridiculous. <clears throat> but the idea is this fool starts out saying foolish things, and by the time he's done and kept adding words and words and words, his foolishness has become outright raving madness. By saying more, he didn't get better. He got worse. So we do well to soberly take that to heart. Saying more is not going to get it out. 
it's going to pour fertilizer on it. Okay? So his folly turns into outright raving madness. But what do the words of a wise man do? Instead of his mouth swallowing him up, instead of it being that funny animation of a mouth eating itself, his words are gracious. And that's an important part of the discussion. And that's a part that we'll spend a little bit of time on in our study this evening. There's plenty that's said in warning about the potential dangers of the tongue. There's plenty that's said that cautions us to restrict our usage of the tongue. But it needs to be understood that total silence isn't always the answer either. Sometimes silence is not an option. Sometimes the ethical demand of the moment requires that we speak up. And wisdom doesn't just teach us to hush <coughs> until we figured out something better to say. Wisdom teaches us to go ahead and say it when we figured out something better to say. Because the wise man in this passage, he does have words. He does say things. But the things that he chooses to say are gracious. Okay? So let's be uh, mindful of that overcorrection of just totally shutting down and not saying anything. So let's look at different warnings about the tongue in the book of Proverbs, how the tongue causes trouble. The tongue traps. Your tongue is a trap. Proverbs 18 and 7, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. How many times have you seen someone say things that backed them into a corner and got them in a lot of trouble, more than they bargained for? The Bible says in Proverbs 12 and 13, the wicked is ensnared by the transgressions of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. So what does the wicked do? He speaks words, and these words come out of his mouth, and they fall to the ground and open up as a steel trap. They just transform from ladders into the steel that makes the sharp teeth of a steel trap. That's what the wicked, foolish, unwise tongue does. Everything that's said just plops out on the ground and it's this big open trap with big gnarly sharp teeth and sooner or later he's going to step in one of those traps and it's going to bite his leg. He'll be snared in it. That's the idea that's had in this passage. Try to visualize that if you can. The Lord provides for us with these words here a strong visualization of the power of ill-advised words. Consider what he said in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Like we've done in our studies, we've tried to step outside of Proverbs with just a couple of references to show the consistency between what Proverbs teaches and what we find in other scripture, even in the New Covenant. So let's read in James 3, verse 5 through 6. He said, even so the, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Wow. James really put it on the line there, didn't he? He starts out talking about how the tongue is really small but can cause trouble on the magnitude as though it was very large. And then he compares it to a small flame starting this huge forest fire. And then he goes from a forest to a world of iniquity. <laughs> and he goes from a world of iniquity to that tongue being set on fire by hell. 
So there's just this constant expansion of the imagery here in the book of James that cautions us about the power of the tongue. It's really frustrating when you hear about forest fires. A lot of times we hear about them out west in areas that can be prone to dry years. And there may be forests that flourish off a of snowfall and then they'll hit a, a dry summer <clears throat> where you know it's, it's ready to burn. And somebody carelessly leaves a campfire going after they've left camp. Or somebody, you know, throws out a cigarette or some other source of fire that it's, it's so small when it starts. And by the time we're hearing about it on the news, the, scar, the, the sky is glowing orange and millions of acres are being burned. And it's, it feels like just every couple of years we hear about that sort of thing. And it's so frustrating to think about so much waste so much beauty destroyed, so much destruction that starts with just a little fire. And that, that's the picture he gives of the tongue here. I pulled that picture up to just help fuel our imaginations to work with the, the word imagery that James provides for us. The tongue is dreadfully power, though it's very, very small compared to the rest of the body. How much does your tongue weigh compared to how much does everything else weigh? It's dramatic how small it is, but how much damage it can cause. That's the picture that God pulls to our minds to try to get us to realize the importance of weighing our words. The tongue causes trouble. And when it causes trouble, it follows that by bringing more trouble. Hear how that's explained in Proverbs 17 and verse 20. It said, he who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. What happens to the person whose tongue is evil? They bring more evil. That sounds like one sin going and getting other sins and bringing them in. That sounds an awful lot like what we talked about last night several times throughout our study. How sins tend to not stand alone in our heart. Sins tend to, by their nature, bring in companion sins or similar sins. And sin tends to multiply left unchecked. And the sin of the foolishly used tongue or a perverse tongue, that sin also brings more evil. Let's think about Proverbs warnings about a lying tongue. <clears throat> A lying tongue shows hate, Proverbs 26 and 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. That tongue can cause destruction. It can crush people. And when the destruction is uh, in part because of lies that that tongue tells, well, that, that's an expression of hate. And that comes from a corrupt heart, the Bible warns us. Proverbs 12 and verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. You see someone who has deceit in their heart, that's lies. The lying tongue is a reflection of the lying that's in the heart, the deceit that's in the heart. And what does that do? That causes a person to become that person who devises evil things. It gets more sin involved in the picture. And just like an ill-used tongue can trap us, bad words can trap us, our lies can trap us. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Proverbs 19 in verse 5. You won't escape the trap 
of the lies that you tell. Proverbs 20 and verse 17. He said, bread going gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Now there's another very powerful image. <clears throat> I don't eat bread very often at all for reasons that it's not, not the point right now. Just suffice to say I don't eat a lot of bread. But every once in a while, I'll have bread. The other day, my wife and I finally got a chance to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary a couple of days afterwards. And we went to this little mom-and-pop joint that was served Italian food, and they served fresh bread made there in-house before the meal. And it was just the softest. It was just the softest bread that there ever was so soft and so buttery and you could just about chew it with your lips. It was so gloriously soft. Did I mention that it was soft? Have you got, have you got a bite of that yet? Are you chewing on it yet in your mind? Uh, I think I see a couple of you gnawing on a piece of bread in your mind right now. That's what I want you to do. You ever eat rocks? I think some of the boys here probably have or tried. <laughs> My wife made me quit. <laughs> Imagine that just wonderfully soft bread and you're eating it and it's so buttery and it's so tender and it's so delicious. And what, what kind of devilry is this that they can make bread this soft and then the next thing you know you're chewing on a mouthful of rocks. There are guys out there who will lie to make more money. That's where their tongue errs. They'll tell a lie to just make a few more dollars. He said, you know, that feels great at first. That's like that soft piece of bread. But eventually, those words that you're spitting out on the ground, eventually they'll trap you. Some people build such a habit out of lying that they just lie constantly. I've heard the expression used to, to depict someone who's so dishonest like that that while well, he would lie when the truth would serve him better. And that's meant to say that he'll tell a lie even if it's, it would be better off if, if he just said things the way they were, he would look better in that one moment. But the reality of it is the truth always serves you better. But some people just build a habit of lying so that they lie without even thinking about it. And you can't stay caught up with all the lies you told. You can't keep up and figure out how to make sure you say things in a way to cover yourself. Eventually you're going to get caught and one more person will figure out that you're lying. And then another, and then another, and then another. And before long, people don't trust you. That's the kind of trap that comes. That's the kind of damage that comes from the misused tongue. Another way that we misuse our tongue is in gossip. Proverbs talks a little bit about gossip. He said in Proverbs 16 and 28, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Have you ever seen friendships destroyed by whispering? If you haven't, then you didn't go through junior high in public school, okay? And it doesn't stop there. It happens in the neighborhood. Somebody leaning over, oh, let me tell you. 
and before long something is said that destroys that person's relationship with someone else. There's a lot of damage that can be caused there. That hurts real people in real ways. That's something that can cause strife. He said in Proverbs 26, in verse 20, he said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. The talebearer, the gossip, they're such a source of trouble. Their words are setting such traps for themselves and for others that it's causing all this strife. <clears throat> but what happens when you pull that talebearer out? Things just die down. It's amazing when you see that happen. When you see a group of people and there's kind of a constant boil of strife and I remember one time a few years back in my work seeing this happen in a congregation. I already knew about this passage and the principle behind it. I actually thought of it some as it related to the problems they were trying to sort through. And there was one character in there that was the talebearer, always going and spreading those little whispery hints to this one and that one and keeping things stirred up for whatever reasons we may not understand. That's what that person did. And when that person pulled themselves out of that situation, the peace that followed was uncanny. It's like everybody that was upset was immediately happy with each other. And all that foolishness stopped. He gives the allusion here to a burning fire. And you picture a, a little fire, a little campfire here, where there's one main coal there in the bottom that's growing you know, really red and it's really hot and you pull that sucker out and what do those other smaller coals do? They start to die down and the, they lose heat fast. You put the coals back together, the heat goes back up. You pull that tail bearer out and the strife dies back down. Who wants to be that person? Why do we, why do we gossip? Why do we tell things? I have concluded that it's because of our pride. And if you were here for a recent study, that won't surprise you because I, I told you I heard someone say all sin comes from pride, and the more I look, the more I think they're right. And I'll tell you why I think it comes from pride. We think it makes us look good to be the one that gets to inform them of the news, that we were the first to know or we were the first to tell. Somehow that it's like the news channel trying to get the scoop on the story. We're, we, you heard it here first. So therefore we're better. Well we sort of become like a news channel and we think if they heard it from us first that somehow makes us better. It doesn't. The one that's better is the one that kept quiet and studied being busy trying to figure out what was going on and what their responsibilities were. So think about that as we think about the heart behind the things that our, our, our tongue says. You know, we can try to discipline ourselves into not saying gossipy things, but and that's fine, but we really need to think about the heart. Maybe working on our pride in our heart would help us a lot more with these things than it might seem. As I said earlier in the study, there's sort of a temptation in this to think, well, okay, with all these dangers, it's just less said the better, right? So I'm just going to quit talking. I don't mean a, you know, a vow of silence. I mean to just really shut down and not say much. Well, that could be a mistake. <clears throat> and that's one of the, the internal conflicts that, 
that I face as an outspoken and a plain-spoken person. I'm just being real, and I hope you find this relatable. I'm, I'm outspoken and I'm plain-spoken. And one of the conflicts that I find is there are instances where I think, all right, my outspoken nature is about to get me. I need a hush. And then comes this other voice that says, wait a minute. Are you under obligation to say something here? And on that inward battle goes. And the truth of it is sometimes we are obligated to speak, to use words wisely. So we really have to work on that, don't we? Good words can truly help. Proverbs 15 and 23 says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Honey, does this dress make me look fat? No, ma'am, not one iota. <laughs> That's a joyful answer spoken in due season. It'll make you happy, fellas. Okay, there may be better examples than that. But that gets the idea out in front of us. When you say the right thing in the right way at the right time, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, that's pretty rare. Welcome to the club. But the two things, the two times that happened for me, okay, in my 55 years, it felt pretty awesome. So let's work at that. In Proverbs 16 and 24, he said, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. I'm a very sentimental person. I, you may know that about me or may not. I don't know, but I'm a very sentimental person. When I was a little kid, my dad had beehives. And my older brother, Mike, and I would go out there with him, and we would help rob those beehives. And in the, in the process of that, he would cut out a little bit of that honeycomb and give it to us with this just bursting with honey and let us chew that. It's just some of the best tasting. That's as fresh as it gets, Okay. Quite a while back, my wife and I were in Costco. It's a big store like Sam's, and they had a certain kind of raw honey that they were selling. <clears throat> and, and they were giving samples, and us cheap folk, that's how we take our family out to eat. We go to Costco on samples day, okay? <laughs> and, and we went by the honey samples, and I said, okay. And I tried that. I'm not kidding you. I had tears coming in my eyes. This is just like robbing beehives with dad. It's one of the most amazing feelings I've ever experienced at the taste of food. That, that's really right up there with that soft bread, okay? <laughs> There's just something about that moment that was overpowering, and he said pleasant words are like that. Well, you can't say pleasant words if you don't say words. Sometimes we have to just swallow our dread and step up to the plate and talk. It's okay. Just be careful what you say and try not to say too much. And if you can't get your point across after a while, just apologize and hush, okay? It's all right. You know, most of the people that we're dealing with, especially that are Christians, will see when we're really sincerely trying and they'll give us some grace. We'll have a good little bit of wheel room there. We can use these good words to reflect wisdom. In Proverbs 18 and verse 4, it said, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, and wellsprings of wisdom is a flowing brook. You might think, well, I don't know where to get those wisdom words. Well, I hope after this week you do. 
Read more of Proverbs if you want to have better answers. Read it and study it obediently like we talked about early in the week. Look for practical things to apply. And the longer you do that, the more you'll find suitable, well-measured words to use. Here's some general guidelines we can use in our pursuit of better words. Think first. Proverbs 15 and 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. It's, it's okay to just say, let me think about that a while. I'm not sure I'm ready to comment. Take time to think. Another great guideline in speaking is to listen to really try to understand what the other person is saying. Proverbs 18 and 2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Some people are just more interested in getting their opinion out than they are in hearing what that other person, really hearing what that other person has to say and really understanding. Have you had the experience in dealing with friendships? Have you had the experience that there's just really not that many really, really good listeners. Maybe you haven't felt that way. There have been times I've felt that way. That the people who, they're not sitting there with an itchy trigger finger just waiting to unload all their opinions on you. They just want to take time to listen as long as you need them to listen and to just really understand what you're saying. Man, that's, that's valuable skill. And it seems like it's in short supply. Maybe we can all up our game in that a little bit and do a better job of trying to understand others. And if we do, we'll do a better job of responding to what they have to say. Be careful not to waste your words. Proverbs 23 and verse 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Sometimes you've got to understand your target and realize, you know, this is a problem I can't fix today. Jesus talked about, you know, caution with regards to casting your pearls before swine. There's some people you just can't take the risk of trying to reach out to them with your words. And this passage puts that same idea before us in much more plain terms. Sometimes you're just wasting your words. So don't waste those words in the hearing of somebody who's determined to not listen. All you're going to do is stir up their uh, disdain for you. Use judgment in the words that you select. Proverbs 10 and 32 says, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. I, again, this goes back to this feeling of, man, I'm at a loss for words. I'm really not sure what the best thing to say is. Okay, the more we study Proverbs, the more we put Proverbs into practice, the more there'll be times that we'll find something meaningful to say. So that person who knows what is acceptable is a person who spent time meditating on, studying, and applying what they've learned in this great book of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 20 says, Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. You never know who's listening. So if you want to say better words, okay, if your words especially pertain to other people, imagine they were sitting there while you were saying these things. 
and say them with the kind of care you would say if the subject of your words were present. And that'll help you. That'll help you exercise better judgment. There's a lot of meat here, isn't there? There's a lot to guide us in the words that we use. I want you to think about these things as you think about your words being a reflection of your heart. And that brings us to a thought of the one who owns your heart also owns your words. And I hope your words belong to God tonight. Does your heart, have you given your life to Christ in obedience to the gospel? If you've not done that, maybe it's time you consider doing that. And if you want to do that tonight, we want to help you. Or perhaps you're a Christian and you have been careless and reckless with your usage of words or neglected good words that needed to have been said and the prayers of the church might encourage you in that endeavor to improve that and if we can help you in that way of course we would love to do so. If we can help you in either way spiritually please come have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.